0: Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned, keeping the flame of faith burning. I wanna know where you've been, and what you found out. Spread some light in the darkness, spread it all about in the height.
1: Welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and this is episode 53. And I am delighted to have at my dining room table slash studio. On <laughs> <En laughs> person. You know how people do that, right? Uh, my very dear friend, Brian Prowski. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Avram. How are you? I'm delighted. I'm delighted, and I'm so happy to have you here, Brian. I, uh, I always, always felt such a warmth towards you really and I think that's because you're a very warm fellow and Thank also you. also you do something very cool in life you are the executive director of the Jewish Family and Child Service yes yes I am here in Toronto yes yeah, yeah. so when I say that I guess you've been doing that for four years right I yes four years yeah does it resonate with you like people say oh here's the executive director of Jewish file uh, Jewish Family Child Service do you think to yourself Oh, wow, I am the executive director. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know,
2: uh, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, when I uh, when I first came back to the agency, because I was a worker, uh, a frontline worker at yes. uh, a Jewish family uh, and child for uh, about five and a half years, that's when I knew you. You know, you were filled with the same passion and the, the mm. you know, the same, you know, um, let's put it this way. You were forced to be reckoned with. Verve, let's say. Back back then, <laughs> yeah. Verve, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a frontline worker for, for five and a half years at, at Jewish Family. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, back then uh, I felt this incredible sense of just pride being part of the part of an agency that had been part of the community for so long um left never thought i'd come back um this is a long answer to your question but right. never thought i'd come back but um when i did come back uh there were probably about 13 or 14 people uh still at the agency because there was uh, about an 18 19 20 year i haven't really done the math a gap between yeah according my, to my, the
1: writing since 18 years 18 years yes. okay
2: between when i was last there as a frontline worker when i came back as the executive director and and uh, I think, you know, it was uh, it was seeing the, the people there, uh, none of whom had aged uh, like I had, but but they were there. And uh, a couple of the, uh, the my colleagues from, uh, you know, 20 years ago, um, we went into what I considered Gordy's office, Gordy Wolf's office. Um, and, Who was the uh,
1: iconic executive director that's right. of JFNCS? He passed away. Yeah, he, he was a beautiful guy, beautiful man.
2: Yeah. Anyways, we're standing in the we're standing in the office, and uh, you know, I was like, I looked at them, I went, can you, can you. F- Fuck, can I say that yeah, word you on your? Yeah. yeah, can you yeah. fucking believe I'm in here right now? I know. I <laughs> and know. they looked at me and went, No, actually, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: well, by the way, do you know where that stems from? Do you know why people might think that? <laughs> no, why? Because you're not the ED type. Why is that? <laughs> you- You're very, you're very warm. You're very open. You're extremely creative, right? Right. You have round glasses. You know, uh, like you came to this meeting this morning. An ED type would be wearing a suit and a tie, probably. Yeah. But that's not who you are at all. That's you're like one of those sort of kick-ass, down-to-earth, warm fellows who fortunately find his, found his way into the executive directorship, which I think is fabulous. Thanks. Really, because the yeah. community chose you well because of your creativity, because of your warmth, and because you're very down-to-earth. That's really nice of you to say. I yeah. think so, Brian. That doesn't usually happen, you know.
2: Yeah, although Jewish family, although this agency does have a history of hiring, you know, slightly eccentric uh, mm-hmm. leaders, to be quite honest with you, I mean, if you looked at sort of, if you looked at Jerry Diamond, for example, yes. as a leader, um, he he was combative, yes, he, he was, was argumentative, he was creative. I mean, he was uh, on the beaches of Omaha, you know, pushing artillery. Up those beaches, and then he played a bunch of instruments. I, I you know think. you know what
1: Jerry Diamond so, uh, yeah. created, invented with other yeah. engineers during the war. Yeah, those rafts.
2: That's right. Ra- yes, and that- he was an inventor. He was an engineer. Right. I mean, yes, and you know you wouldn't. And if you if you went back, and I did, I went through the archives and sort of looked at uh, annual uh, speeches he had given, and uh, you know addresses. I mean. He lived in a perpetual state of of um, of thinking that the the next apocalypse was around the corner. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this sort of apocryphal view of of. Uh, you know, of the world that at any given moment, like a pogrom
1: was going to break out. I mean, I guess being in a (laughs) war would do that to a person. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. And Gordy, Gordy too was, uh, feisty. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, he was this,
2: he was a warm, loving, loving man, but man, did he have a temper. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's true. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm sure he went running, uh, into when you were at the UGA. I'm sure you, you must've heard the footsteps, you know, whenever there was a, a funding issue, Gordy would go like, Peeling into the UJA, <laughs> screaming, arms flying in all directions. Well, I'll tell you, my yeah.
1: my experience yeah. with, with Gordy was a, a phenomenal one. Because when I started via Hofta, we really got going in 1997 at the end, 1998. Anyways, I would go upstairs to him. And uh, you guys were on the sixth floor of the uh, Federation building. And I would sit with him and I would ask him for things. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we needed partnership. We needed some funds working on the street with the homeless, of which you guys do as well. And he always said, yes. And uh-huh. he was always gentle and he was always kind. And then sometimes you'd meet someone who had worked with Gordy, who knew him and I said, "Yeah, my experiences were just awesome, yeah. right?" They go with Gordy? I go, "Yeah, he was <laughs> always so kind." Gordy? <laughs> Cuz he had those two very strong sides of him, right? Yeah. Yeah, very much. He was. Yeah. So how do, how do you yeah. ED? What what's your <laughs> philosophy of of leading the pack? Well, how do you how do you go about it?
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's a it's an it's an interesting job um, because of the of the variety of the of the various like like we have there's thirty three programs. Yeah. So I have to tell you that you know my my first year my my style of ED was like I felt like there were. Um, uh, each program was like a, a, a bus or a car and it was like driving away and I was running as fast as I could yeah. to catch up to to catch up to uh, 33 cars going in different directions right. uh, and then on top of that we had um, you know a threat to our, our mandate to provide child protection services so it was it was good so I think for my first two years my my method of being an ED was just uh, running as fast as I could in every direction. <laughs> just stay up with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to right. Try to, right. Try to catch up with it. But um, uh, but you know, uh, to be quite honest with you, I I believe in being uh, an authentic uh, leader. Um, I believe in being a really transparent uh, a leader of an agency, uh, yeah. and I think that's. I think those two things have served me have served me quite. Quite well because when it really comes down to it, um, you know. And I think back in my own life, um, I worked with some incredibly brilliant people, um, but they weren't they weren't necessarily nice people, or their their uh, emotional intelligence didn't seem to be that high. Was that surprising um, for you? Yeah, because these were social workers. Yeah, always surprising. In fact, I had one boss who was like basically an axe wielding homicidal maniac. How did you that play how did that play out? Yeah, what played out with me suffering all sorts of Did you? You know, emotional, physical, you know, um or suffering emotionally physically, all that stuff, just desperate to uh just desperate to leave. It's the and worst I,
1: thing to have a boss like that. That's isn't it? right. The worst yeah. thing. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, because
2: people don't work for I mean, they work for an organization, it's a great organization to work for, but generally people work for you work for your boss. True. You know, and you you see generally about 10 feet from your office in many cases. Um, But I escaped and I took a demotion at the time uh, just to get out. Uh, I went Those are back. two
1: interesting words, Brian. Yeah. I escaped and I <laughs> took demotion. Yeah. Really, that's how you looked at it. Yeah, yeah.
2: It was it was escape. And in fact, for for uh, for many years, um, I'd see people who I worked with, and uh, we would talk about sort of the post traumatic, uh, what we called the post traumatic York disorder, because I it was in York region, yes. the the, the, uh, the job that I had. But but I think it it, it taught me a lesson. It taught me that um, you know I'd rather work for. A, uh, I'd rather work for a kind person yeah. than a uh, than a genius, to be quite honest with you. This, per- this person
1: was no genius, believe me. I think Abraham uh, Heschel right. said the great Abraham Heschel, a Jewish sage, said that when he was young, he really wanted to emulate the intellect, the intellectual, and as he got older, he he realized you, you really want to emulate the kind person, right? Right, the warm person. Yeah. So how might that how how might that play out in your day to day operations? the warmness, the transparency, what would you do differently than that homicidal maniac? <laughs> what
2: would you do differently? Well, you know, I mean the the interesting part is you you try really hard not to lose the the person in the position, no no matter what your your interaction is. Yeah. And I think it, it can be difficult because, you know, when you're um, when you're you're in charge and you would know this, when you're in charge of an organization you're, you're you're constantly looking at uh, you're looking at spreadsheets, you're looking at staffing costs, you're looking at program costs, but um, you know I mean you y- you have to make it um, part of your mission to uh, to know and understand people and to yeah. be empathetic with uh, or you know and to um, and and to really um, um, I don't know to to just to just be an empathic uh, human being um that that doesn't see people as fte's or uh you know or component parts of a a bigger whole everyone brings you know just just so much to the so much to the job so that and so it's about connecting i think uh, but it's well, also well but said. i would just say it's also about it's also about being honest you know when things are um when you're feeling um when you feel the agency is threatened in any way, or yep. when you're when you're feeling fatigued, or you're not having you know a good day or anything, it's being willing to to share that. Or when you don't know something, it's also a willingness to just say, "Look, I have no clue," you know, about about this. Uh, but like, let's talk about it. Maybe the two of us can figure it out. So it's uh, that comes with maturity, right? I think, maturity, right? I think it, so. It really yeah. Out.
1: Have there been any yeah. programs that you've implemented with your staff to share yourself with them? Uh, so yeah,
2: when I first, it's interesting. When I first got to the agency, there was this incredible hunger to be part of decision-making, uh, at the, uh, at the agency. And, um, People felt I had a I had a really talented predecessor named uh, Richard Cummings. I know Richard. Who was Ed? Yeah, who was Ed for for ten years? And he was an incredibly talented man. Yeah, he's an interesting and, fellow. Yeah, and and he um, and he has deep roots in the community, and he's he's um, he's still involved um, with the with the agency, which we're really
1: grateful for. I know he just emailed yeah. me. He wants yeah. to get together with stuff that he's doing. Right, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like Richard. It's great, and. Uh, and conceptually, he built a lot of really beautiful, conceptualized programs. Um, Richard's a PhD and Richard's a, um, Richard's a big thinker and a strategic thinker and, and all of that. Um, and I, I tend to be a little more transactional um, and a little more bricks and mortar yes. in, in what I do. So, to be quite honest with you, there was a, there was a hunger when I came for, uh, for staff to be part of decision making. Uh, for staff to be in on things um, and, uh, you know, just for transparency, a lot of transparency in general. That's what, that's what, so I went out, I spoke to, I probably met with about 65 staff individually when I first came and I said, look, Las Vegas rules for the first month or so that I'm here, you know, tell me anything. It's not going to leave my, my office. So for one month, you know, let's, I just want to get to know you. I want you to feel free, share, whatever you want to share with you the good the bad the ugly whatever you want to share with me about how did the, that go about the organization i think it went really well um i heard a lot of things perhaps i wouldn't have heard otherwise and uh, probably haven't heard it, since i probably haven't heard since i did say to them look after after the month is over though i need you to be a professional i need you to stand behind your words you know it's you know no shots from the grassy knoll at the cavalcade below let's (laughs) let's show our faces that kind of thing so uh we, we did that i also opened up our senior management meetings for the first year i said look we have these senior management meetings if you want to come to a meeting i don't care where you are in the organization really yeah come come join our senior management meeting the i only had one rule you have to participate uh you know, in you have to ask a question. Yeah, you just be you have to be engaged. Did people right. come? Yeah, oh yeah. Like one they or two
1: or the dribs and drabs.
2: No, no. They showed up. We had a list and we, we tried to get through the list of people who were interested. I said, look, what we do isn't a secret. Like we all we're all owners of the organization. You know, I I asked myself, what would Google do a lot (laughs) as I started? Because, you know, I thought, you know, we shouldn't be a hierarchy. We should be a network of people. And how do I know in this network of people that the person who is working in our accounting department, who's been here three months, won't have the best idea for the agency for the coming year? Well,
1: what was the outcome? What was the outcome?
2: So people really liked it, two outcomes. So people, I think the staff really enjoyed being in the senior management meetings to see what I think was a secret or the inner workings of the agency. Yes. like, what are we? We're just schmoes like everybody else. Yes, but, yeah. you know, we just have a different job at a different uh, altitude. That's all. And I mean, how did senior so,
1: staff feel about it? So
2: that's the interesting part. Right, so, that would be so at interesting first, Yeah, so that is the yeah. interesting part. Yeah. So I think that my my senior staff colleagues, I think of, well, you know, I was honey, in a honeymoon period. So at first they were sort of looking at who's this sort of slightly strange, eccentric uh, new ED who doesn't wear a tie and wears jeans and all yeah. that stuff like you were you were talking He's about. got his kids' paintings Although, up on his got wall. Got his kids' paintings on, right. And uh, yeah. like that, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, they were, uh, let me put it this way. They were very accommodating, uh, to, to me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um we were, they were on their best behavior, uh, right. along with me because we had staff there observing us during these, these meetings. So I think in some ways it made us better, uh, made us consider our words more. But, but then I, about a year about I think it was about 10 or 11 months in, uh, they, they, I think they approached me or a couple of them approached me or they approached someone who we were working with at the time and said, you know, Brian, um, the senior team really feels that they don't have a lot of time for themselves with you yes. uh, to have to have you know generative or important discussions just with 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 you, um, which they feel are important. <laughs> and so yeah. I realized that I I needed to make sure that we had time carved out for us to have really you know those kind of frank important discussions. Uh, we can have which um, our our process discussions and so did the and, general staff
1: stop coming. So
2: it, eventually, that just trickled out. Yeah. Um, other things I did was I, I blogged every week at the uh, when I got there to the agency. So I sent out. I just said, you know what, uh, the staff have a right to know what I'm up to. Uh, so for the first two years, I never missed a Friday. I'm very proud of that. Good for you. Even if I went away, you know, I I sent out a uh, a pretty comprehensive blog of of what I had done during the week or. My thoughts now it degenerated into into some different things because you know some days I was just thinking you know I'd like to write about Bob Dylan today. (laughs) (laughs) the staff appreciated that. Yeah, Yeah. so I just wrote a story about how I fell in love with Bob Dylan, you know, and stuff like that. Or
1: I think that would make people love you more. I don't know.
3: Well, no, because you're right. What you're
1: saying is here's an ED is uh, someone who's way up there. He or she is the man or the woman. They're essentially locked behind a closed door then all of a sudden these other people trip in there they're called senior staff and they're talking about me right right that's the sense very yeah. often right so yeah. when you open that up and you start talking about yeah. dylan <laughs> yeah they're getting to know who you are and you break down the, the that difference between you and them that's right, right. i know yeah. that because i was ed too and that's yeah. the stuff that i hated were it was the spreadsheets and the hiring and the right. firing and all that yeah it wasn't me and i did lose myself a little bit
2: yeah yeah yeah, so I think that was that was really well-received. And also, it worked both ways because um, when you think about it, I would send this blog out if I had a question about if there was something I was struggling with. Suddenly, I could reach out to 150 people or, or yeah, about 150 people and right. say, I'm really struggling with this. What do you think? Can you help me with this? Like, um, I was struggling once uh, because... Um, you know, we were, we were facing some real challenges with the provincial government. And, uh, I, I was struggling about, you know, what do we stand for, yes. uh, as, as an organization, you know, um, what, what, what's, you know, what, what, what is our, um, you know, I could ring off a, a, a mission or, uh, or some values and stuff like that, but what do you think we really stand for? I'd like to communicate that to the, the politicians I, I meet, um, and I could reach out to staff and, uh. And get, you know, like 70 people or 60 send me back responses. This is what I think we stand for. Yeah, you for. were going
1: through a really tough time in 2016, yeah. I believe yeah. it was, where, where the Premier of Ontario was talking about folding JF and CS That's right. in yeah. to the broader child services in the city, right? Or yeah. the province. That's right. That never happened, yeah.
2: though. No, it didn't happen. I think this the government right now is a little friendlier to, uh, to faith-based or culturally-based uh, children's aid societies. So... We're we're at a good place uh, right now uh, with the government. Yeah, so that's that's good. It's given me a chance to focus on some other things. I remember when you first started,
1: that was like your key issue. It was like when Obama became president and the economy was crapping out. You go, oh shit, what have I done? Yeah, it
2: took. I would say I spent about seventy five percent of my time my first probably year and a half. Um, just doing, you know, um, a lot of advocacy work with government. And uh, fortunately, I had a fantastic board. I had a really great board president with this like superhuman energy. who is was it? Uh, Emeril Rosenheck. Just uh-huh. this superhuman energy to... Uh, to just advocate, agitate, uh, you know, <laughs> kick open doors, like do all that kind of really great stuff that you'd want from a from do a that? board president. Are, are you able? To yeah, do that? can yeah. you kick open doors? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So you're not
1: you're, you're somewhat fearless yeah. then. Yeah. You, well,
2: yeah. In some ways I'm fearless, but in other ways I'm you know uh, I come from a long line of cowards. And, oh, so do yeah. I. I do. How, how are you? How are you? How are you cowardly? You know, be honest here. <laughs> well, I'm a good second guesser, right. so. Yeah, so in in that way, I'm not I'm not as fearless, you know, as as I probably could be. Are you fear, um, afraid of being yelled at? No. Oh, no, you're not. No. You see, I all. am. I am. Oh no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. That doesn't even. No. Maybe when I began as a worker, it could have been like devastating, debilitating, all that stuff. But do you come from now, a com- no. do
1: you come from a calm household?
2: Are yeah. your parents still with us? Uh, so my mother is. My father died. Um, oh. I think it's like eight or nine or ten years ago i can't i don't keep track of yeah, the actual i'm sorry the actual day yeah yeah um my mother is still alive unfortunately she has dementia how, how old is so she not old um she's probably uh me think about this 79 80 does she old. know and who so you are brian
1: she still knows who i am so yeah. when you walk in yes. she'll, yeah, she'll she'll grab your hand and does yeah she, tell she, still you she loves it.
2: you uh yeah yeah so she can still do do some of that but it's uh you know it's a disappearing act and i understand uh, yeah my mother had yeah. that too yeah
3: yeah
1: they say you lose someone twice when they have dementia it's when they leave you while they're here on this earth and then later on uh-huh. but you know what you should all find peace but what was it like growing up yeah. in your family was it was yeah. it a peaceful household well that's a
2: really interesting
3: <laughs> it's hard to
2: uh no i don't think i would describe it as peaceful um there were five kids yeah. uh, in the, in the family. Where do you fit? Um, I'm the oldest yep. of, of five. Um, uh, my mother had me, was told by uh, a doctor she couldn't have any more kids. Wow. So she immediately went out and adopted uh, a child. Um, and then, uh, I p- found out, you know, I guess moments later she was pregnant. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right, right. So I have, I have two sisters that are, are practically the same age. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, of course, after, uh, and then there were three, and then she had two more. For you know, so so what did what did doctors know, you know, back exactly. then about uh, the it, reproductive system? I guess maybe we've come a long way. I have no idea. It's but in the hands of God, right? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you so, were the
1: oldest of five. So I was the
2: oldest of I was the oldest of five, and uh, you know, uh, my parents were a really interesting couple. My father was a lot older than my uh, he was older than my mother. Um, like by how much? Uh, I think. Let me think about this. By seven or eight years, okay. um, he was uh, he was older than my mother, and uh, they first met at summer camp. <laughs> Do you know which camp it <laughs> he was? Uh, I think it was Ogama. Yeah, and uh, he was a tripper, and uh, she was just a kid who I think he referred to as "Who's that little brat?" You know, <laughs> like a little brat or something. And then they met years later. Uh, I, my father was engaged to be married, but. Uh, Actually, I don't really know why the why it was called off. I yeah. suppose he wasn't in love or she wasn't in love. Or, Do you know who
1: he was, in, who he was
2: engaged you, you to? You know, I don't, but I've heard she's had a very long, happy life. Has she? <laughs> and so everything worked out. Yeah, fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's no, all, no, it's good. It's Kidding. all good. Yeah. And uh, my mother was a lot younger. And uh, I think when it was suggested that, you know, hey, there's this young lawyer in Toronto you might want to go out with, uh, I think she said something, you know, like, oh, that old, you
1: know, that old fart or whatever she said. So she was a brat and he was a fart.
2: Yeah. I mean, she was about, you know, she was a Beatles fan and an Elvis Presley fan. And uh, I'm not sure my father had ever listened to music up until the time. But but what my father was, was boy, did he like to party. Did he? Yeah. I mean, he he partied his way through undergrad. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. My brother and sisters and I, we always hear stories. My mean, father was the life of the party. I mean, you know, you'd see. I think he was born like wearing a tuxedo so that he could So be. he was an interesting, he colorful partied. fellow. He was a colorful fellow, spent a lot of time with his friends. We'd go to Las Vegas a few times a year with his friends, loved gambling, loved, you know, um... You know worked out every every day uh, for the social aspect of it um, you know and and so my parents they had a very rich like rich social life our house was kind of the center of of a lot of people's social lives yes. uh, for for many years was that nice for you it was yeah it was different you know I mean for a while for a, a year or so my mother drove a motorcycle my <laughs> father you? yeah their their friends were, I mean, in the seventies, uh it was uh it was I guess it was just a wild a wild time, you know. For and, some. Uh, yeah. My dad some, was a rabbi. It wasn't wild no, for it was him. For <laughs> no, not
1: not very much.
2: Yeah. So our our, our house was, you know, um uh, so a lot of people spent a lot of their weekends. Uh, Brian, at, do people still come up to court.
1: you? Do people come up to you to this day and say, yeah. "Man, I remember those oh, parties." Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Or, or they'll remember him at the Cambridge Club where he worked out every day, and yeah. they'll say, "Boy, I could tell you things about your father." And of course, I'm like, "Tell me." <laughs> I've got yeah, I'm got an interest. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in hearing. pretty my brother's even more interested in hearing it. You know, yeah. and stuff like that. But do,
1: do any stories uh, come come to mind? Anything you recall uh, about him? <laughs> well.
2: Um, most, uh, yeah, well, there was one story where he was, uh, he was in a poker game and, oh. uh, at, uh, I'm not, can't remember. It was at U of T I think, or it was at law school and he was in a poker game and, um, he lost all the money he had brought, like pretty quickly. And, yeah. uh, and then they, the people who were playing with him let him bet articles of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know and where this so is going, he, man. Yeah. 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 yeah so he bet his shoes and his pants and his shirt and all that. He really did. So he really actually did lose his shirt. He actually did. He actually, did. Yeah, he actually okay. lost his, his shirt and yep. apparently uh, went, went home in his underwear. <laughs> uh, which I'd heard heard recently. But you know, everyone had a great time. So it's and, interesting because uh, he was could... he
1: was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. He yeah. was a lawyer, but he was very offbeat and very colorful. And your yeah. mom went along with this. She was part of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think my yeah. My mother was a like you would call her like a perpetual adolescent. I think. And her was friends she? Would Forever too. Young. Forever Young. Ah. Okay. Nice, you ain't? can bring Dylan into Thank it. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Forever young. I mean I think she was like a perpetual adolescent. She um you know, she she was always, she, there was a huge garden and there was, uh, you know, she'd suddenly say, uh, oh, I collect fans now and there'd be like a huge fan collection in the house or... You know, I collect art, so suddenly the house is filled with art. Yeah. You know, I'm an art dealer now. The house is, you know, there's art in the house. So she, yeah. she was a little whimsical in 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 that way and all that. And I think they had did a good marriage. I I think you know, <laughs> like I don't know what happened behind the scenes ever, but outwardly, don't. outwardly, I can't remember. Uh, they, I can't remember an argument what, outwardly.
1: Oh, you don't remember them fighting?
2: No, no. No, they must have done it very privately, and uh, yeah. you know. I mean, Do you
1: fight with your wife?
2: Yeah, we've we have some good fights, good
1: ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we have some
2: good. Uh, but you know how to make fights. up. You yeah, have, oh you, yeah, you have that yeah. Tool. Yeah, because that's being, key, right? Uh, oh, that is that's key for sure. Yeah, no, we've been um, we've been together. Uh, we've been married now for uh, twenty-eight years. Muzzle. Uh, yeah, which is which is kind of nice. We've yeah. known each other for thirty years. Right. Um, so. Yeah, no, we know how to fight. We know how to make up and all. You guys and just went to Cancun together, right? We did. Yeah. Was
1: it was it nice? Like, do you like her? To- you like spending time
3: with her?
2: Yeah, we love spending time you do. together. You yeah. Do. What do you guys do yeah. in Cancun as an example? What would you well, do for this holiday? What we did mostly was uh, we we lay on this like in this huge contraption, yeah, uh, this wicker contraption on the beach and drank a lot of. The, oh, uh, that's a very nice a holiday. It was a very nice holiday and and ate too much and all of that. What did you and, drink? I got to swim a lot. I had a lot of frozen, I think they were frozen, Margaret was margaritas, is that the frozen drink? Yes, that would the mar- be the frozen page. margaritas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. which does, doesn't feel like drinking at all, to be honest with
1: you. No, it's true. It's like when you go to a wedding and, and you drink, what were those little green drinks called? You'll drink like 15, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 15 <laughs> of them, right? right. I, and you find out when you're young, like 15 yeah. years old, they go, oh, try one of these. Right. Soon enough, you're drunk for the first time, right? That's right. Right. Yeah. So you and your wife, you schmooze, you talk you oh yeah she's like a friend in other words yeah, like it's of course. always fresh
2: yeah yeah absolutely i mean my wife's uh she's a brilliant woman she uh, what really attracted me to her was her independence she was fiercely independent How so? i had come How out so? of a well i come out of a relationship where i was with a very needy yeah. person where it was very like you know like if i had gone out for 20 minutes there was <laughs> it was a catastrophe and all that and You know, it's one thing that sort of really stuck with me. It had a profound impact on me because I thought, wow, you know, like I don't want to spend my life taking care of someone's, you know, you know, colossal emotional needs, you know, I need a I need a partner. So what really attracted me to my wife was, mm. I we got fixed up by by someone because she's from Montreal and was in Toronto, and they said, you know, she's probably lonely <laughs> and uh, she <laughs> she doesn't have many friends, and you should call her. And at the time, I was going out with another woman, but I gave her a I gave her a call and left like an hour long message on her on her answering machine. Did you? <laughs> and she just happened to be with her brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was having a great conversation over him. <laughs> 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 it's one of the best ones I've probably ever had. No I could one, see that. There was no one to. Uh, uh, contradict me at all, or right, anything like right. that. No debates. And no, there's no debates at all. <laughs> and uh, I was just talking, apparently. And apparently, her brother, or I think it was her brother, was with her at the time, or <laughs> her family was visiting. And they said, Boy, you got to call this person. <laughs> He's entertaining, or something like oh, that. Oh, they so, actually liked it. They liked you. Yeah, yeah. so they, they liked that. Now, but what I found out when I met her was first of all, she had more friends than I did in Toronto, yeah. even though I spent my entire life in the city, except for, uh, yeah, I spent my entire life in the city. In Toronto, she had way more friends than I did. Right. She had, she, had right. she was involved in way more, you know, uh, like uh, way more social stuff than I was. She certainly didn't need me. <laughs> well, that, anyway, that was good. good. Yeah, and that was really attractive to me. Wow, here's this, like, you know, and she was just finishing. Uh, she just finished articling, was just graduating from law school um i don't think she knew at the time you know hey i'm going out with this this guy who's uh, thinking about going
1: back to get his msw is that uh, an issue by the way is that an issue is what an issue okay so you date a lawyer or yeah. or a, a eventual yeah. lawyer that oh great you can, <laughs> right. you know a doc great a doctor Well yeah. oh what are you yeah. gonna do a social worker was yeah. that an issue
2: uh i think well for her parents i think at the time sure it was yeah. issue. i think they were worried they were thinking look we've got this super educated you know beautiful daughter who's <laughs> Who we invested tons in for yeah, education right. Yeah. right and uh you know she had done a master's degree at the london school of economics really? and then a law degree so and, did Mick Jagger,
1: by the way yeah, yeah he yeah. went there yeah
2: yeah so she's just like Mick Jagger. no, Is she? no well, I'm That's a good sorry. wife I'm kidding. No, yeah. so um so anyway she'd laugh uh, about that but anyway um yeah. So her, I think her parents were, uh, yeah, they were, they were worried. And, uh, then I, you know, I said to her, Hey, I proposed to her, we got engaged. Uh, and I said, okay, now I'm going to New York to live for two years to do it my, wild, right? to yeah. do my uh, MSW. So I'll be living in New York. So we spent the year of our engagement living in different countries. And then the first year of our marriage living in different countries. And then, you know, so I think it was a, a leap of faith that she, she took, um, you know, I had aspirations at the time. Um, you know, uh, my, my feeling about everything in life is that, um, you know, uh, actually I sum it up by, by saying this, because, uh, you know, when I, when I walked into the Toronto Children's Aid Society, yes. my very first day first job after graduating with my msw i walked in with a fellow uh, i won't tell you his first name let's call him bob i walked because he's still there i walked in with bob and it was just this it was the size of a football field to me it probably wasn't but it looked like a football field of cubicles and he looked at me and he said i'm gonna get lost in here and i looked at him and i went you never know one day one of us might be running this place that's so cool and so i thought you know. So I I don't know why I ha- I've always had that kind of philosophy. I mean, I tell my daughter who's an artist and you know, and she's she's I think you know incredibly talented and she's a painter. And you know, I tell her as long as there are walls in the world, why not your art? You know, why Beautiful. why shouldn't it be your art hanging on those those walls? So Beautiful. so my philosophy has always been you know you know I think I think and I tell. I tell social work students that I I meet all the time. Like, I was you. I I was a social work student doing a placement at Greenwich House in New York City, which was an alcohol rehab, or at the Jacob Perlow Hospice in New York City where my two practicums, I was a student there. I'm sure no one looked at me as anyone with any potential at all for anything except for, you know, uh, maybe being a decent social worker, although I quickly found I wasn't the best uh, I wasn't the best social worker. My mind w- wandered around things. I think I rushed to conclusions too quickly and stuff like that.
1: Did that but evolve eventually? Yeah, yeah. It I mean, evolved. you must have been decent because they asked yeah. you to be the ED of jfcs well, well, I
2: became more process oriented <laughs> yeah. and all of that good stuff, and developed a lot of patience and and, and client centric. Like yeah, yeah, hundred percent. All of that good good stuff came with years of of yeah. Well, years of, of successes and failures and reflection and all that good stuff, but but that's always
1: been that's always been my my philosophy. So so Brian, yeah. you know, before you came uh, to my house yeah. today, I was learning Talmud. I do what's called daf yomi. You learn right. one page of Talmud every single day for seven and a half years. Right. As to whether I make it for seven and a half years, <laughs> I have no idea. But so far, I'm staying on top of it, and I'm learning the tractate which is called Brachot, Brachos, um, and I learned this. Uh, sugya this, this issue prior to you coming and to make a long story short essentially it said that when you give to the poor you are loaning to god when you give to the poor you are loaning to god so let me ask you firstly what do you think that means with your talmudic mind <laughs> 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 well you know i am a yeshiva graduate uh, from,
2: right? Yeah. yeshiva university in new york yeah yes. sure yeah
1: yeah so what did a you study
2: talmud <laughs> no i didn't yeah
3: no no
2: but um you're yeah you're loaning to God well I guess to me it says that when you um, when you are charitable uh, when you help someone in need you're doing something divine uh, right off the bat it would tell me because um, to compare that to a transaction with uh, with God um, I don't think you can you can um, there can be anything more divine than, than that so there's that divine aspect to it um, but I also, uh, but I also think if God is the arbiter of, of our lives um, and, um, and if that's the future we have in store for us, uh, with God as the arbiter, then um, what, what could be more, uh, you know, um, what could be more meaningful than, um, than making a loan? Uh, because what yes. you're doing is that you're actually loaning to the future of mankind you're loaning to your own future. You're loaning to your own salvation. You're loaning to, uh, you know, uh, repairing the world. You're you're you, that that is a that's a pretty omniscient loan that you're uh, that you're, that you're making. Uh, it also takes it out of. Um, uh, it also rises it. it. It it raises it to a to a, to a different level. I think a very you holy know, level.
1: A very holy level. Yeah,
2: it makes it a kind of uh, it sanctifies it a bit. As well,
1: yeah. Am I correct? You've been in homes where you've had to take a child out of it. Uh, Very rarely. Did you do any of that? Yes. Yeah. 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 You've been in a home where the the family's destitute. I mean, you're talking about deep poverty. Deep and yeah. So yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. What's that like for you? Yeah. Well, it's it's heartbreaking to be honest with you. It it really is. If if uh, because. To be honest, most families that I've I worked with, I've worked with through the years, um, uh, you know, during my time at Jewish family, uh, they they love their children just as much as I love my own children. They had the same hopes, the same aspirations, yes, for their children, the same dreams. You know, what I mean, um, but you know, just because of certain circumstances in their lives, it turned a certain in a certain direction. Um, and uh, so, you know, so I, I, I don't think, I think for me, uh, you, you know, I tried to be in touch with, with that, that, you know, there but for the grace of God go I was sort of a, something I often, I often thought about. There, was, there really isn't a difference between um, the clients that we see yes. most of the time uh, and ourselves, except for the misfortune of their circumstances. And so that's something I tried to really keep in mind a lot of the time. The other thing was don't leave people completely hopeless ever. You know, um, you may, in an extreme circumstance, you may lose your child to the state or to the to whatever it, it is uh, at the time. Uh, you may lose your child, but it, it, it doesn't mean you've lost your child permanently at all. And it doesn't mean that... Um, you know that y- your life can't be you can't transform your life or you can't become uh, a better caregiver or you know um, you can't parent your ch- child in the future so i think it's really really important not to leave people feeling hopeless at all your yeah.
1: your website is a yeah. very good website oh thanks yeah. <laughs> what's the url for it the address <laughs> you want me to know the do you know the address uh, of I your website just do that, and you'll, you'll get to or it. Or Google JFNCS Toronto. Yeah, that's right, that's right. It's, actually you'll get very, to it. it's a good website. It yeah. really is. It's very yeah. crystal clear. Right. And there's a uh, client of JFNCS who was quoted, yeah. um, and he or she talks about poverty. Can I read right. you yeah. what he said or what yeah. she said? Poverty isn't, and, and I want your comments on yeah. this, okay? Poverty isn't just the lack of money. It's the lack of everything. Luxuries, social life, peace of mind. And the self. It's forever thinking about money because there is never enough. It's forever doing mental arithmetic as money gets uh, moved in your head from one allocation to another as things come up. It's having people not understand that you can't do something simple like meat for coffee because the money simply isn't there. Imagine that, eh? Yeah. It's living with shoddy things that don't work well because you can't afford to replace them. It's the false economy of dollars about feeling visible and judged as you wear your clothes until they are threadbare and your shoes until they fall apart, painfully aware of your uncut hair. It's forever saying no to your children and praying that they don't get sick as the money for their medication will have to come from somewhere. It's consistently worrying about the future, yours and your children's, until it looks so bleak that you just stop. It's prioritizing the food you buy and not having the luxury of making the same choices as normal people. Having to sacrifice quality, variety, and ethics to make sure that your family is fed. And finally, it's watching the world go past you, knowing you cannot afford to join in. Poverty feels like a weight. Like you're drowning and there is no land in sight. Yeah. Yeah it
2: just it just fills you with sadness you know yeah
1: um
2: yeah and <laughs> you know those are the um th- that's one of probably you know just thousands of stories that that you could have read you know yeah. uh, or that we could have shared on our uh on our website um you don't um People don't look at the Jewish community and immediately think uh, think poverty. Uh, they don't think woman abuse. They don't think poverty. Um, but you know, 13% of our community, you know, um, lives like uh, like that. That individual, um, that individual who probably has like you know, who has the same hopes, the same wants, the same opportunities in life. Uh, only has one chance like the rest of us so for me it just it fills me with sadness but it also it's it's it it makes it gives me a sense of urgency and a sense of motivation to do to do something Um, and I'm I think we are you know I think we're we're making a big difference uh, in in many people's lives I know because uh, I get so many testimonials from people Um, I recently said with staff that one of the great privileges of my job is that I get to be the keeper of, uh, of all the expressions of gratitude. Yeah, I love that, that too people, about my job, yes. Yeah, Yes. that I got to be this, this keeper of expressions of gratitude. And I recently, in a, in a blog, I started blogging again. I thought, okay, I've taken two years off. I'm going to start again. Yeah. And I've just been sharing these expressions of gratitude from where, where we really have helped save lives
1: or at least, you know, given people a real hand up. Uh, in their lives, can so, you remember any uh, email yeah. or text or something that someone said to you? Does something come to mind? Um, so most
2: um, most recently, um, we dedicated part of a we dedicated part of a staff meeting um, to, um, to 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 doing something called a gratitude challenge, yeah. which was you know it was a United Way, it sent an email. Uh, and they're, they're a really great partner of ours uh, to work with. Uh, and they, they talked about, hey, it's the new year. Let's, you know, uh, we, we challenge the organizations that uh, we're funding. Why don't you, uh, we challenge you to begin the new year by thinking about what you're grateful for. Uh, and during that, that meeting, uh, we, we have a program called the SFAP program, where we're, we're able to give um, individuals who are struggling with, with poverty Uh, a little bit of money every month you know maybe they can buy kosher food an extra pair of shoes for their kids a coat something like that that's a big pro
1: it's a very big program it's a big program yeah simon coxstein who you just honored a little while back he got the gordy wolf Award. he did he said he said the beauty of what we do and he thanked the jewish federation for this that's right is that i'm able to give people money yeah Right. Yeah. So which the is, supplementary assistance program is a huge yeah. piece.
2: It's a big part of sort of the continuum poverty reduction services that yeah. we that we offer. There's there's so many more components to it, but that is a that's a part of it. It's yes. a it's a beautiful part of it, and what a beautiful community to be part of, that that, that has that, that has that safety net for people. But you know, one of the one of the staff uh, uh, said that um, I'm thankful every day. That I get to give out the SFAP checks and not receive them,
3: oh, that's, and yeah, uh, yeah,
2: and I, I that's that stuck in my mind, you know. Um, it goes back to the there, there by there, the grace of God. That's go right. Because yeah. who knows? Who that's knows? Right. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because we're what are we? We're uh, you know we're 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 a short distance. Uh, from from the lives that our clients are experiencing. Yeah, what um, I found
1: very interesting is that yeah. there and there's not one type of poverty. Right. So when you talk about that short distance, there's a thing called rural poverty, there's urban poverty, right. and then there's just that very short-lived poverty. And I know because yeah. I used to work with a homeless, you'd meet someone on the street and say, you just don't look like you've been here for yeah. a long time. And they say, because I haven't. That's you know, right. I lost my job and my wife left me and I'm out here and I suspect I'll get off within a year. And that happens too, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's situational poverty, there's intergenerational poverty, a hundred percent. Yeah. There are lots of, everyone has a unique story. Um, you know, uh, Bob Dylan said, uh, dignity is a coat. <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, we... I, hopefully we're in the dignity business um, and it doesn't matter what what circumstances led you to come to our door but um, you know we'll be able to we'll be able to help you we're talking you about know. dignity being a yeah. co you know yeah. I went through the
1: <laughs> list of programs that you yeah. have I think you said you have 33 is that yeah. right yeah so that's pretty fascinating I want I, yeah. I want to <laughs> mention a bunch of them yeah. because uh, <laughs> one of them is the just a second shop right not far from my house. that's right yeah. And I actually go in there sometimes to buy yeah. a sweater. I hope that's okay. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do take clothing as yeah. well. Right. But some of the things that Jewish Family and yeah. Child Service do here in Toronto, yeah. um, you've, you've kind of categorized that increasing safety and security, right. child abuse and neglect. Yeah, right. Which yeah. is so that would pro- be probably our, one of the toughest ones, right? Yeah. So that
2: would be our Children's Aid Society yeah. or our Child Welfare Program. That's right.
1: Yeah. Uh, do Do you ever go out? With with one of your social so, workers, so
2: not since I came back. I've I I did that for five and a half years. Yeah. I think I have a really good I have a good sense of 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 what uh what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, uh and all of that. Do yeah. they ever come
1: into your office, Brian? After oh yeah, visit? all the time. They'll yeah. sit there with yeah you? yeah
2: yeah, and we'll talk to me. Sure, yeah yeah. People come in. You know, the child protection workers have a. Um, they have a very discernible knock
3: and a way of coming in. Not. Well, let me to... let me show me on the used... table. Yeah, cause let they're me used the to, fuck in right because yeah. they're
2: used to right they're used to going into situations where you know um uh, we're working with non-voluntary people there's there's an element of uh there's always an element of some danger involved in 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 doing that or some unpredictability so you develop a lot of coping mechanisms they require a lot you need i know because i need a lot of support yeah um. So there's all these infrastructures of support around that program in order to so that people feel safe all the time. Were you ever in danger you know? yourself? Uh sure. Yeah. Did anything ever happen? Was yeah. It- yeah. I had a client um, once lunge at me and grab me around the neck. I've had um, uh, I've had cl- clients or or people I've gone to see. I've had them uh, threaten me. Um, I've had them throw things at me. Sure. What did yeah. you do with that guy who who held you around the neck? Um. Well, I got out of there as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I came back with the police, and I think they, they gave him a warning.
1: Uh, uh, I was once yeah. uh, out on our van, yeah. the Via Hufta van, and yeah. we take volunteers to work with those people living on the street, and it was early in the morning. Those were the days where we were out till 6, 7 in the morning. Right. And um, there was a guy on the street who was drinking uh, mouthwash, yeah. and I said to him casually, I said, be careful with that. Yeah, I understand yeah. why you're drinking. Just don't drink too much; it could be very dangerous. And I, he got very upset with me, yeah. so he jumped me. <laughs> yeah, and he was on my back, and I said very calmly, "I said I'm going to count to three. Yeah, and I and I suggest very strongly that when I'm finished, you're off my back. Yeah, now. There, that wasn't backed by a lot of strength, but that's what I said. And he yeah. got off my back.
2: Yeah, what's amazing is
1: you had the presence of mind to, yeah, know. to think straight.
2: <laughs> I know. In that, no, my only thought was get those hands off me off and, my neck. And, and run. <laughs> get out of there. Yeah. 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 yeah Are yeah. you a strong I guy? I wish I, or? no, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not that strong. Have you ever was, been in a fight? Uh, at school, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. With a... A kid named Terry. Oh, when Terry. I, really <laughs> I know Terry. Yeah. Right. When I was really young. Well, it's interesting. I'm pretty sure I lost. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> And I have no idea what caused the fight. But I do remember that Mr. Stover at Bayview Glen right. Public School was the principal and brought us both into his office. Now, he, I think he was a war veteran and you know, he was a pretty old school dude. Yeah. And he brought us in his office and we were fighting during recess <laughs> and he called... Um, and he, he brought out the, the strap thing because he Ooh. wanted to hit us Ooh. to teach us a lesson. He was going to hit us on the uh, on the hand. Good lesson. With his, lesson. Yeah, he was going to teach us a lesson for fighting by hitting yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, right. So he called he called Terry's uh, father or mother. I don't know who he got. And he said listen uh, your son has been in a fight um I'm, i'd like to administer corporal punishment teacher so obviously there'd be some school policy at the time because clearly this guy probably just strapped kids but but he must have it must have been just i must have been in in public school at the time where things were evolving where yeah where like teachers had been getting in trouble by so terry's Terry's father went. Yeah, you know what? Teach him a fucking him lesson. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Do it. Anyways, he calls my. <laughs> he called my my mother at the time. You know, I haven't thought about this. To be honest with you, I haven't thought about this in in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. He called my mother. at time. she goes, "Are you out of your fucking mind? Do you lay a hand on Mike? My, my husband's a lawyer. We're, we're going to sue you and the whole." So bravo. I, bravo. So, well, it made it much worse for me because I sat there while Terry got. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Ooh, I awful. sat in the room while Terry got like his hand strapped oh. by the uh, by the principal and uh, the principal sort of looked at me like you uh, privileged little prick, you know, Ooh. and I'm sure there was a maybe there was an anti-Semitic, vote. I have no idea. Actually, that's not fair, but I, I don't know about that. It's uh, <laughs> so Jewish of you yeah. though. I'm pretty sure it was anti-Semitic too. I'll just too. go right there,
1: right? I know it was anti-Semitic. Yeah, let's go
2: right there. But I'm sure he was thinking, you know, whatever. But but yeah. So For Terry, man. I wonder what
1: ever happened to Terry. Eh? Yeah, he was our uh, street hockey goalie. So he was, was he a good? pretty important person. Yeah, he I don't be. know if he was
2: good, to be honest with right, you. Right, right, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I don't know if we, uh, and I don't know if why we fought. I have no no recollection, but I know that was the only time I've been in an actual. No, that's not true. Once at Camp Winnebago. <laughs> well, what 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 happened there? I got into a fight. By the way, at Winnebago was the same as Ogama. Ogama, yeah. So your parents went there, and you that's went there. Right, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that yeah, happens yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I did get into a, a fight in Winnebago. Who? I don't remember the fellow's name. Yeah. Uh, but I remember him picking on me for. Uh, like the whole the whole first month I was there. Jerk. And then yeah, he was a jerk. He was a bully. Yeah. And then and then we fought. Yeah. And I remember the counselors and I remember I won that fight. <laughs> I won that fight. Bravo, I don't know. How, bravo. Right. I won the fight because I remember having this incredibly really good feeling that I'd overcome this bully. Yeah. And the bullying ended after this fight, which, you know, um I don't is that probably a bad lesson or something. But well, I know but, but anyways the it ended after the bullying, or maybe I just went home after that, but I felt this like incredible sense of accomplishment. Yes. At the camp and I remember the counselors saying, like, wow, you really taught him a lesson and the kids in the cabin were were yes. saying the same thing. We need to stand I'm sure up. Did you remember to bullies. this this kid's Evan maybe was his first name? Evan? Evan. Maybe it was Evan? No, I don't think it was Evan. Anyways, he was a big guy. I remember him Yeah, like yeah, like in my memory, he was. uh <laughs> you think it was, was Goliath. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, all the Evans. Yeah. yeah. How old are you? You're yeah. Are you sixty, Brian? I uh, no. I'm. Thanks, but no. I'm fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Okay. Yeah, so you born. I just look in... sixty. No,
1: no, no, no. I'm thinking you're my age. So you were born in '63. <laughs> Two. '62. So all yeah. the Evans out there from '62 yeah. are thinking, "Oh shit, yeah. that's probably me," right? Right. Do, do kids grow up to be bullies when they're bullies in camp or school? <laughs> I think they can. Absolutely. They can, right? Yeah,
2: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If if no responsible adult steps in and says, Hey that's probably not the best way to solve problems. You know, know it's true. You're not always going to be the biggest and strongest in the room. You might you might want to think about getting along with people. Very (laughs)
1: good. And collaborating and doing all that good sort of stuff. (laughs) Well those were good stories. Anyway. Great interlude. So there's a few other programs I want to mention here fostering Mm -hmm. kinship and adoption. Right. You know, a yeah. few years ago I wrote yeah. an article. The JFNCS yeah. was trying to place a child yeah. who had a lot of uh, physical uh, ailments. Yep. Yeah. And I wrote two or three articles uh, yeah. for the Canadian Jewish yeah. News encouraging people to yeah. adopt and to foster because there was a lack of individuals within our community to do so. Has that changed at all?
2: Well, you know, we've had a couple of events over the last five or so years, planting roots events, where we've had you know incredible community support for I those was programs. There. I was at one. Yeah, at one of them, and there. So I have to say that that, that we ha- we do have a responsive community, but there's a difference between being responsive and opening up your home. Yes. To um, to fo- to fostering a uh, to fostering a child. There's always a need. Um, the. So so yes, there, there's still there's still always a need. Uh, a lot of people who want to adopt want to adopt a baby. Yeah, uh, and a know, Jewish baby and a Jewish baby. And also they want to know that, um, y- they want to know that the medical history doesn't include any possibility of fetal alcohol syndrome or any other, uh, medical issues that may have arisen while the child, while the mother was pregnant, and other things like that. So it's, it's always uh, there are always challenges as children become, you know, uh, adolescents. It gets much harder to find families. But to be honest, we do have some like beautiful stories of adolescents being adopted. Can I hear one? By, of them? by families and uh, yeah, and, and so we have, we have these beautiful stories. And the other part is we're, we're not in the business of taking children away from families. Yes. That's, that's the last stop at the end of a universe of, of you know, of programs and services and preventative measures. It happens very rarely. Um, we serve 200,000 Jewish people in Toronto and York Region. We maybe have 24 children in our, in our care, children and youth. And I think ten of those are now young adults. Okay. So to be honest with you, um, we're in the business of of keeping families together, uh, of uh, finding kin placements, or you know, uh, you know, or placements within the child's own community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's really what we're, do, we're do trying to do. Did you have a story do. of an adolescent? Where's it we do? Well, yeah. There's a we have a beautiful story of a um, of a young of a young woman who. Um, who had had a number of, uh, of placements and they had all broken down and stuff like that. And um, uh, finally, she found this. I, I think it might have even been through one of those planting roots events. She found this this family, um, and they they took her in and they were going to foster her for for a little while. But she became so much a part of their family. Then they became pregnant and had a, had their own Beautiful. their own kid, yeah. their their own child, and she became like a big sister. Uh, for uh, for that family. Wow. Uh, and um, and rather than um, rather than them saying, okay, you know, our fostering days are are, are over, um, you know, there was room enough in their heart to have this uh, this this young young adult in their homes and uh, she called it her family, yeah. uh, which is a friend who's also a family. very nice. And yeah. they really they really are her parents. Yeah. Uh, and this is an incredibly impressive young, young woman who overcame a lot in her life Uh, and now she's a big sister to uh, this child. She has this family or forever family uh, and she's in university and uh, I have no doubt she'll be, uh, she'll do great things in her life and uh, in the world as
1: well. Brian, aren't you you happy you don't sell encyclopedias? Yeah, it's great. Aren't you happy about that? Nothing (laughs) against selling encyclopedias. No. But I mean at the end of your day and at the end of your days you should live to 120 yeah. like you've you've accomplished something, haven't you?
2: Yeah, so it's it's an incredibly rewarding. It it's, is. It's, it's it's a really it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful profession. It's a great, uh, it's a great agency to work for. I mean, it's got such deep roots in the community, you know. Um, so I'm so happy yeah. we're
1: doing this interview, man. Yeah, <laughs> I know mean, no I doing, am. Yeah,
2: so I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, I mean, it's there's there's lots of variety. It's it's very fulfilling. I yeah. mean. You know, like like I said, what can be what can be better? Like at the end of the at the end of the day, what what can be better than, uh, than than seeing someone succeed or seeing someone of at course. their at, in, at their lowest moment um, and uh, you know providing some some scaffolding so that they can stand on their on their own one day. I- interesting choice
1: yeah. of construction words. Yeah. Do you feel uh, good about yourself? Um,
2: sometimes. But overall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, f- I feel okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, like like most people. I mean, your whole I, body language is changing, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. You know. um, uh, I, I feel. I feel o- okay. I feel there are aspects of of my life and my work. I don't yeah. know. You know, I'm a. We're we're complex we are. organisms, we you know. Are. We like are. That's it's such a loaded question. Do you feel okay about yourself? Yeah, I like, know. Like, once yeah, thinking, like could I be? Could I be a better husband? A better, I think immediately better husband, better father. Could I be? Could I be kinder to, uh, to you know, to people around me? Could I be a better sibling? Could I be a better son? Could I be like, you know, my mind just gets that little tiny <laughs> question. is just like a it's it just floods your mind with. That's uh, what it was with, meant to do with so many. But I, so I, many I wasn't things. really
1: asking, can you be better? Because we yeah. can all be better until the yeah. day we leave this earth. Right. Yes. Yeah, so and what it was really responding to all the stuff that your organization does. Right and you're the ed of it so uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who do not get a lot of meaning f- from their work the nine yeah. to five yeah but how could you not in yours? so really that was a response right. to man alive you must feel pretty good about yourself yeah, yeah that's what i was saying yeah really, you know
2: yeah and it does
1: and it does feel it feels very meaningful yeah the,
2: the work and i'm really grateful for
1: for that oh yeah. my god yeah um High conflict separation divorce—that's a biggie. Yeah. We'll stay away from that run right now. <laughs> okay. So you have the clothing <laughs> covered. You have the supplementary financial assistance program. Now here's a really important one. Yeah, the Holocaust survivor emergency funding—that's yeah. a really big piece, isn't yeah. it? Like yeah. you, you will even get dental care for a yeah. survivor. Let, let's yeah. first qualify: what is a survivor? Yeah.
2: So, so the definitions keep changing. Yes, I saw. Carpet, Yeah, the claims conference definitions keep keep changing, but. But you've uh, you've been impacted by the by the Holocaust. You've been displaced. You've uh, you've lost family. You've been, you know, w- the worst case scenario. You've been through a death camp yeah. and survived that experience. Which or you've is, been which pregnant in Lithuania in 1942. Yeah, and the definition, like I say, they do change. You were a hidden child yeah. perhaps during the Holocaust. You were in a Russian gulag. Um, so it's uh, it's an ever broadening definition. Um, the 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 survivors we see are are in in many many instances are in financial distress to add to it so um, you know we we feel quite strongly that we 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 owe it to to the survivors we see to to make sure that the the final years of their lives are lived with uh you know some independence and certainly with dignity um it's i think the most shameful statistic we face as a uh, as a community is the fact that one in four Holocaust survivors live below the poverty line. So, what's that all about? Yeah. how did that happen? Well, again, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, so you have to. I think that it's a it's a complex answer, like um, like like all um, like all people who perhaps end up uh, living in poverty. But um, the war left a lot of scars yeah. on a lot of people, um, and um, perhaps made it harder to cope. Um, it, uh, it left people without families and mm-hmm. support systems that, that, uh, we've, that you and I enjoy. Um, it left people with, um, you know, a constellation of needs that are beyond our wildest imaginations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, y- you, know, um, and as, and as people get older, uh, and they have that constellation of needs, they don't have all the family supports we have. Um, they have, uh, you know, I think of the trauma that they're dealing with every day and have dealt with every day in their lives. So a lot of bandwidth is getting taken up by dealing with that trauma. So you have, again, that all of those factors that that come to play and you might find yourself alone yeah. uh, and you're 84 years old and uh, <sighs> and you're alone. Uh, and And sometimes you have you you may have had families but, but because of your experiences during the war, you may have you may have ravaged relationships with, with your families because because of your war experience. Because the next generation has the, the the children of Holocaust survivors and now we're finding the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. Yeah. You know, there's um there's something in their wiring and their DNA as well that is um you know, um that that has been affected. Do survivors uh, by,
1: Go into therapy.
2: Yeah. Uh, sometimes they go into therapy. Uh, again, to to say a survivor, though it's they're they're as complex as as everybody else, and as as different as snowflakes. You know what I mean. So as every snow. So so, but but s- some do. Uh, but some come to see us at eighty-seven years old, uh, and it's the first time they've ever told their story. Yeah, at that always blows years, me away. At eighty-seven years old. Yeah, and uh,
1: is that and because so, they're older? and therefore their walls are coming down sometimes not by choice i like it's harder to yeah. keep those walls up
2: i th- i think the f- for some of them yeah it could be or but for some of them you know given the the reams of paperwork they have to fill out that we help them with yeah. through you know for for claims conference so they can get some emergency assistance it's a lot of paper money yeah it, there's a lot of red tape i mean so our our staff are really good system navigators yeah uh, and speak a bunch of languages and and help them but but I think it's, um, it's they, but they, they have to be trauma informed and they have to be good clinicians because uh, you, you're opening up a wound sometime that's been closed for many, many years. Um, you know, my own mother in law was one of those, uh, those survivors. She's still alive, her vibrant was a hidden child, yeah. and just recently published a book about her experiences. And, um, but I, when my wife was growing up in that household, um it was never spoken about uh the holocaust or her story um she learned it from uh, her grandmother not her mother
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so uh does it play so out yeah. in your wife's life at all i think
2: so yeah how, how, how yeah out? well i think we 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 have a very well let's put it this way we have a very well stocked we have well stocked cupboards and uh oh, I <laughs> and <all> that <laughs> yeah i see yeah i think we have enough uh we have enough toothpaste, I think, to get us through uh, the year three thousand. <laughs> a lot of toothpaste, yeah, stuff like that. I guess they, so brush, they're, they're... I
1: guess they never, ever, ever brush their teeth. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing no. in the concentration camps, right? I,
2: yeah, I don't think it's. Yeah, probably not. But I think it's. It's just more of. Uh, it's more of just the, the the safety and security of of. Um, or feeling a, a sense of that that things could just run out at any given moment yeah the, like the world will be without toothpaste at any given moment <laughs> yeah and i better have lots of it or you know and i think it comes out when there are uh when there's a snowstorm or something and you know whether it's like uh, oh i better go shopping like right away to make sure yeah. that we yeah. have food in the house because you know we may never ever be able to uh to eat again so it's those little it's, it's kind of those. A those few years ago, well.
1: uh, yeah. during the ice storm, of which you'll remember, it yeah. was pretty bad here in Toronto. Right. Uh, my favorite tree was torn down after Aww. the ice. I, It was really bad because I love... Did you get to paint it? No, I didn't. It, oh, actually, later on I did in my imagi- from my imagination. Right. But I love the sound of the leaves from that tree. And when it died, I actually wrote an article about it. I go, losing, losing your best friend, you know. Aww. Yeah, it was really <laughs> tragic. But anyway, so there was an ice, ice storm... <laughs> and uh an individual in our family a senior individual who is a survivor right told us about how uh, they had to stand in line uh you know um, while they while she was in a concentration camp sometimes for hours and she basically said, this is nothing, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we barely had any clothes on, you know? Yeah. I, God, I have, we've been highly affected by the Holocaust, right? Yeah. You know, when An I, um,
2: when I did my second year placement yeah. in New York, it was at the Jacob Perlow hospice in New York city. And I saw a, uh, a survivor named, uh, her name was Anne, and mm-hmm. she was a lovely woman. She was dying at the, uh, uh at the time. And, um, uh, I, I was at her uh, her bedside. Uh, I I was one of the visiting social workers who worked with the family at the time that um, uh, that she was dying. She had a, a beautiful son named Avery, and um, anyway, um, she she had had a bunch of operations, and uh, I, I suppose it had started as breast cancer. Perhaps it got worse, and uh, she when I went to see her for the last time, she had a big hole. In her chest, yes. with a tube coming out of it, it looked. I mean, it was terrible to to see, um, and she probably weighed I don't know seventy pounds or whatever. Yeah, and um, I, I went into her uh, into her room, and basically, I knew I was saying goodbye to to her at that time. And I'd worked with her for almost the entire length of my placement, which was odd too at a at a hospice. You didn't tend to have clients you worked with, but she was a survivor, you yes. know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and. Uh, Anyways, um, so I, I just sat with her at the time and, uh, she goes, why do you look so sad? <laughs> she said yeah. to me, I go, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, i probably, this might be the last time we get a chance to, to talk. And she goes, listen, she goes, I've been through worse. So she said, yeah. Wow. What a great line. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, well, holy crap, you know, Honestly. Uh, because th- this was the worst. I mean, she, she was going to die. She died a few weeks later, but you, yeah. y- y- you know, um, which was, um, uh, which, which, which affected me a great deal. Um, uh, yeah, but I had a good therapist at the time in New York, in New York city, um, <laughs> at the time. But, um, after that, that last visit with, with her, I, um, she lived in, uh, down in Neptune and Van Sicklen down in Coney Island in yes. New York city. And, you know, the subway platforms are, are above the above the houses and stuff like that in yep. that part of new york it's really classic stuff yeah. yeah classic stuff and stuff like that anyways i i knew it was the last time i would see her and i went up to the, on the subway platform and i stood at the end of the subway platform looking at um I, I'm, I, I'm making it more romantic maybe i was looking at, over at coney island or something i can't remember but yeah. i was standing at one side and i just started crying yeah. i mean I mean, but not just crying like. Uh, I mean, we were, so, like were, I was wailing and you, you know, and then sobbing. Yes, yeah, sobbing. And I turned around and I looked, and every single person who was on the subway platform had moved way down to the other end of the platform. And this police officer was running toward me because clearly I was someone who was about to jump on the uh, oh, oh, onto was, the onto oh, the subway tracks. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh i had to i had to explain to the police officer no i'm uh, i'm a social work student i just saw someone who i think is you know it's the last time i'm going to see her did he the, listen and so yeah he listened to me and, okay yeah i mean he listened to me kind of impatiently and yeah thought, no, they like, get I'm impatient just, i've just wasted my <laughs> my time with you yeah yeah no, i got
1: arrested almost arrested the night my father died oh, okay. i went into the synagogue to get his tullis his yeah. prayer shawl because we we're going to bury him in it right and uh, the alarm went off and i knew it would, it would go off Anyways, the cops showed up, and uh, boy, did they pepper me with questions. I said, my father just died today, or yesterday. Yeah. They said, well, we're not interested. As far as we're concerned, you just broke into the synagogue. So, yeah, it wasn't a very nice moment. Thanks for reminding me of that. (laughs) My memory of my father dying, besides um, uh,
2: hugging my brother at Sunnybrook Hospital, out in front of the hospital, was... that walking around after, I don't know if you had this experience, I was walking around afterwards thinking, why hasn't the whole world changed?
1: Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, like, like why is that person eating a donut correct why is that why is that person riding their bicycle and laughing like shouldn't the uh didn't the whole world just end for for everybody right exactly yeah Yeah. that was the that was the experience what's your take on that i had walking around well i mean we we just we We are our world yeah we just we are the world yeah we just but but yeah but everyone else we just go on i mean think of how um um you know think of how immune yeah i guess just think of how immune we are to to what's what's happening all around us yeah. all the time it's a wonder we're able to function May i mean you read the news 57 people died here 16 works you know and everyone has their own story their own family there their own people that love them and it's just um
3: well i think yeah. we have these built-in tools but, and walls yeah. to
1: protect us from truth yeah. um yeah. Nietzsche, I think, right. said that art actually exists as right. a buffer against truth. Yeah. So we build all these things around us. We paint pictures. We right. write books. That's right. Not necessarily in a way right. of getting closer to truth. It's in a way of protecting ourselves. From That's truth. right. Interesting point, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah, but I absolutely, and I, uh, I I'm, I do feel the same way. Yeah. I, I do too. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I, yeah. I'm yeah. scared
1: as hell of reality. <laughs>
2: yeah. So it's like, but, but anyway. Uh, do but, you cry but, now? Do you cry now? Um, things can make me cry. Yeah. 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 Like I can still, I can still think of my, my children, um, and certain things about them and make myself cry. Will you ever cry um, in the office? I can do. Um, I would if something affected me yeah. a, a great, a great deal. Um, I would, I would cry. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of the, when was the the last time there? You know, uh, my father, there was a song he loved, uh, the Louis Armstrong song, What a Wonderful World. Yes. Yeah, and I still can't hear it. So uh, if I, if that song, if you were to play that song right now, I'd just be, uh, I'd be a mess. I'd be in tears. Yeah. Hearing that song, and it's, and it's, it's so odd, because I don't think it was like the most important song to him, but it's a song I associate with him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can't really get, get through that song at our, we had a gala for 150th year at the agency and I was, I had to go up on the stage and, uh, uh, I think we had a choir before that, and they they sang that song just oh, no. before I had to go up and say it. My wife oh, was looking no. over at me, and there were tears <laughs> pouring down my 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 you know, and I was all disheveled, and I was just a complete mess.
1: <laughs> so you cry at very inopportune times, it seems, right? My <laughs> well, Coney can. Island. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, yeah. I think my question was more so. Yeah. So a staff member comes in, and they've just gone yeah. through a very harrowing harrowing thing. Yeah. Would you allow yourself to tear up i would yeah would. if i okay. felt that
2: way 100 percent. yeah of course okay yeah
1: again okay. because i would just be authentic with that you just with individual. Real. yeah so another area that jfncs the jewish family and child service works yeah. on is improving mental health and wellness you have what's called the bagel club your cha- chaplaincy services counseling uh groups and workshops the homework club jerome d diamond adolescent center uh, that we worked with years ago, uh, we talked about uh, Jerry Diamond before. Right. Yeah. he was an ED from way back. He had yeah. a really well-coiffed fellow, nice oh, goatee. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. But in his memory, they named an uh, adolescent center. Right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Interesting place, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fantastic program. Uh, it's for it's for uh,
2: it, it's from grade six through high school. Yeah. Uh, and it's for kids who, for whatever reason, um, you know, perhaps they they have. Um, they have anxiety. They have depression. They have other complex needs that make it very difficult for them to function in mainstream schools. So they come to the Diamond Center, and um, you know the 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 purpose of the program is to provide a supportive educational environment, um, so they can return to mainstream to mainstream school and succeed. And you know what? More often than not, they do succeed. They do when succeed. they leave the uh, yep. Yeah, when they leave the Diamond Center, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for the program, but I have to say, of uh, you know, uh, that is one of the programs where we get a lot of people who are very successful in their lives, who uh, reach out to the agency and say, "Hey, you know what? The Diamond Center saved my life." Yeah, well, she I was part that. of the Diamond Center. Yep, we have a board member right now who uh, was at the Diamond Center as a as a kid, and cre- says he credits the Diamond Center with with saving his life changing his life oh. he became a highly successful chef he wrote books he uh uh he left the diamond center a year early and uh, was told that hey you shouldn't leave early yeah. because you should spend another year here you're not going to amount to anything if you leave early yeah. uh, but he had gotten what he needed from the diamond center and then every time he wrote a book he'd just go quietly and leave the book on the steps of the diamond center and recently got reconnected and has done fundraising for... Yeah, so I hear... Great story. They are, and you know, I hear lots of stories about about that school. I recently heard a story about someone, I believe, who is now at Harvard Medical School. Wow. I think it's Harvard Medical School who was a Diamond Center
1: uh, um, graduate or yeah graduate that's yeah, right yeah those are yeah. Su- su- such special so, stories because you yeah. know you're accomplishing something yeah the organization yeah. is doing something right
2: yeah and there's there it's it's a wonderful program and there are so many experiential learning aspects to it i mean the kids are doing uh they're, they're doing cooking classes and healthy eating and yoga. And they're part of a chess club with this, you know, this chess master who's teaching them about life skills yeah. through through playing chess. There's someone who's at Improv Comedy who comes and really? is talking about assertiveness and all of that and speaking in front of people. And there's an art therapist. And so, wow. yeah, it's a really, it, it's a great program. And, and it's a like kind of a hidden gem kind of program because it's over it there is. on, it's over there on and it looks like a house. Right. Yeah and you might not know it if you if you live on the street so that in a, in in many ways is a nice protected environment for kids who might get lost in a school of 2000 people. Right. Right. Yeah, so it's this it's yeah, so it kind of it fits kids like a glove. So <laughs> I, ha- you know I, mean? I I I, yeah. I have to
1: ask you this. Uh, some yeah. people really don't like JFNCS, right? Yeah, of course. There are those who yeah. really don't. What what yeah. what, what don't yeah. people like about yeah,
2: it? Yeah, well, remember, um a lot of the clients we see it's involuntary. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I mean, what's the the last thing in the world you'd ever want to see as a child protection worker walking into your into your house because that's an affront to your parenting um to, to, to your life really to your life everything right you almost rather see someone in a balaclava yeah. coming into your coming into your house so so yeah i mean so it's um there's a there's an added onus on us you know uh, to to be you know um uh super mindful of of that fact that we're intruding on people's lives and it's not there is there so there is that involuntary is that heart. hard
1: on you and your workers so I think it is, and yeah. I think
2: it does. Uh, I have to say, because people say, "Oh, what's the most stressful? The most stressful part of your of your job? The thing that weighs most heavily on me is I'm, I, I'm I'm always worried about uh, a staff member being assaulted, mm-hmm. uh, in a in a house. Always like that never goes away. And I'm worried about um, something happening to a child that's in our care. Mm-hmm. Um, and through my career uh, in in child welfare, I've um, Um, I've unfortunately been part of organizations where um, over a dozen children have died while in the care of uh, Children's Aid Society. Uh, Whether it's been a fire, whether it was just organic reasons, or whether that that child or youth was just engaged in such high-risk activities. Uh, Because, excuse me, people people don't tend to understand, like... um, we aren't bringing the children of Ward and June Cleaver <laughs> yeah, yeah. into care a lot of the time. I mean, these are these are kids with incredibly it can be like real high risk behaviors, uh, engaging in really dangerous stuff. Yes, uh, and um, you know, and they've been doing that for sixteen years, and they're in care for three months. Um you know, sometimes not a lot not a lot changes really quickly. they're still involved in those high risk behaviors and stuff like that. so we work with this real high risk population uh, and I could I could go through and name each each child that uh, each child death I've experienced in child welfare you can and yeah, absolutely um like um, and they're they're never far from being in my mind, kind of like a reel that rolls through my through my head yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and um, so do you? Do you pray? Yeah. Do you pray at all? Uh, so you know what? I don't, um, to be honest with you. Um, I I went through a period of my life where I, I did. I yeah. have this beautiful prayer book uh, that was given to me when I worked at Greenwich House mm-hmm. in New York City mm-hmm. uh, at this alcohol rehab center by someone who was in the armed forces. So I have this little prayer book that says uh, it's for personnel in the uh, Jewish personnel in the armed forces in oh. the United States. Yeah, in this little prayer book, and it has pages that are flipped. That that I've that I've that are prayers that that gave me uh, solace or strength and stuff like that, uh, um, but I'm uh, but no, I don't I don't pray on a on a regular
1: basis at all. So um, on a spiritual level, how spiritual, do you get how do you get through these weights?
2: So, so spiritual on the spiritual level, well, um, I I think I just draw upon um, experiences and, um, and 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 and. Experiences and um, and people um, that I've that I've seen just overcome incredible, uh, you know, real daunting obstacles and just inspirational things. Yeah, I mean, I think the world is filled with inspiration. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. uh, And I'm inspired. I mean, I'm really inspired by the people I work with. Yeah. um, Like every day, so I can really draw on that. There's a there's a lot of collective energy. At, at, at the agency is there um, yeah there's a lot of collective energy I mean it's an it's it's a remarkable agency and um, that everyone I think feels a sense of ownership yeah that they own the agency that's problematic by the way too but it's but that's a it, it's an um it, it, that that part is remarkable um, the the friendships are so strong and so durable and so lasting um, and and um, uh, and and the friendships I've made, uh, and the relationships that I've had over the years because of working in in child welfare, particularly, um, are really durable, lasting um, you know relationships where um, we we all do rely
1: on each other a, a great deal for emotional support and all that. And it's probably yeah. a, because you yeah. have something in common. Yeah. We'll, we'll call him Dave. With yeah. Dave, who has done the same thing for X amount That's of years. Right. Yeah. you probably sort of come together very quickly yeah no one else has experienced that sort of stuff right yeah, yeah. and so it's it, it's it's nice
2: I have a I have a support group of executive directors um, and uh, that that we were we we were we were uh, frontline people together oh, uh, we're frontline good. supervisors together uh, and uh, one in particular has become a very close friend who I I'll call on the phone on my way to work every day so yeah. we uh, and he happens right now to be the executive director of the Catholic Children's Aid Society in Toronto, and we were uh, we were supervisors together. We said we each had a team at uh, the Durham Children's Aid Society together. That's fascinating. So you have a yeah. lot. You have
1: a great support system.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, I think I have an amazing, and incredible support system. Yeah. So and, and I and I've and like I said,
1: I have a good senior team, and I have a really great board of directors. So. And you're a very appreciative man, which is lovely. Yeah. Uh, final yeah. question, which comes from my friend yeah. Sandy, yeah. both someone I know and also <laughs> a friend on Facebook. I asked people if they had any questions for you. Sandy said now that the advocacy office, yeah. uh, which was run by Erwin Elman. Do you know Erwin? Yeah. I interviewed him. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating human being. Yeah, isn't? yeah. Well, oh, beautiful guy. Yeah. Uh, is closed. And they used yeah. to advocate on behalf of foster ch- uh, children in foster care, yeah. uh, children on reserves and so on. Has JF and CS stepped in in any way?
2: So JFNCS wouldn't step in for that. That's a government oversight mechanism. So uh, I would say to your friend Sandy, yeah. <laughs> I would say this: um, I think Irwin did a you know a great job in giving the voice to to people who tend to be voiceless and yes. not not often at the forefront of people's minds. And that was his mission. He did a very good job doing that. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. did a very good job at he that. He sure did. Yeah, and I think he, I believe Irwin had a career in child welfare before he, uh, I think for, so for a while too, yeah, if I recall correctly. He was the keynote speaker at one of our Planting Roots events, so he had a nice relationship with the with the agency. Uh, but I'll say this, uh, child welfare right now, there are so many oversight mechanisms in, in child welfare right right now there's a child and family services review board there are internal complaint mechanisms that agencies have to implement there's an ombudsman so i don't think we're i don't think we're lacking for oh, okay. for any for any for any oversight right now of child welfare if we're not uh if we're not engaged in an audit of of uh, of our child welfare program we're preparing for one or implementing the recommendations from another one. Okay. So it's just this. I have to say, so as far as the oversight parts go, and now there's the Human Rights Tribunal as well. There's the College of Social Workers. So we have lots of those mechanisms. Now, Irwin had a very special place yeah. uh, because he, he made it his passion and his, uh, his raison d'etre to, to give voice to, uh, to children who were discarded or maybe... Uh, the system didn't do them, uh, do them justice. And that was a really important role. So I am sad to see that role gone. Uh, but we, we should think of it in terms of those kids, not necessarily in terms of oversight of children's aid societies where there's a, but by there's the a way, super abundance. Erwin
1: Ir- seems very active in his um, retirement. <laughs> yeah he? he's yeah. all over the place oh yeah
2: yeah I just saw yeah he's everywhere and he's, he, gets, he gets
1: asked a lot to, to he, take to
2: part speak in. he yes. was just in Japan yeah.
1: for a conference yeah he's an amazing human being listen to the interview yeah. I did with him uh, yeah. again it's Erwin Elman yeah. I want to wrap up the show and I want to tell you how uh, really beautiful it was for me
2: oh for me too I've it heard. was so it? nice was yeah. it
1: I'm happy Thank to you. hear that. I, yeah. I uh, I'm so fond yeah. of you, <laughs> and I'm so happy that our community has you as the executive director of Jewish Family and Child Service. And you're I, too I, kind. I know. I, I I truly yeah. believe that, and and I think the reason for it is this: what came out in this interview. You're an eclectic, colorful, <laughs> talented, you know, empathetic human being. Yes, uh, with foibles. I know you have yeah, Of course, we all do. Of course. Yeah. But I'm so happy you're in the position you're in. I really am. I'm really? happy you're out there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I Agitating,
2: shit disturbing, doing, doing, all my stuff, best.
1: doing all the stuff you do. Yeah, yeah. doing my best. So just a mm. couple final questions. 53 is this episode. It happens to be your favorite number as well, right? <laughs> I told you that. Yeah. What the F? Because... What, what, 53. Who has right. the favorite number of 53? So the Steel's East 53
2: bus is the bus <laughs> I took when I was a kid. It's the bus I took to, you know, go to the subway to go down to Sam the Record Man and buy the new Bob Dylan album that came out. So... Uh, <laughs> for some reason then I had a job at Dater's and I used to watch that 53 bus go by all the uh, all the time and uh, so the Steel there's something East in the bus. Number. what there's did you do what did number. you do at Dater's by the way yeah I just stood behind the counter and, like uh, took money no uh, no like um, sliced cheese and prepared fish were you good at that? no I was terrible yeah I know yeah it was. I got fired did you job. get fired? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did get fired what, what, from that what, job. What, what got you
1: fired? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, I was not nice to a customer who you butted in, eh? Who butted in front of that? She. It was before Passover, which, by the way, before Passover, daters became a blood sport for uh, for the community. And, Nicely uh, said. yeah, and like, uh, and so this this woman had. Uh, she was at the back, and she uh, she like just bullied her way right to the front, and uh, I said something like, "You massively insulting and derogatory." And uh, the guy, the manager behind the counter, looks at me and he goes, that woman's my mother. Oh, my God. You're kidding <laughs> you <know>? me. No.
1: <laughs> and that was the end of my career. I at, guess it uh, would be. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I guess it would be.
1: All right. I want to thank uh, Brian. Prou- do they pronounce it Prowski or Prousky? Prowski. Prowski. Do people yeah. make that mistake all Always. the time? Yeah. Uh, what do they call you? Prousky. Yeah, aren't you happy we don't have to call operators anymore to get a, a phone call to yes. Israel? Me too. Yes. <laughs> Avram Rosenswag. that took a long yeah, time Yeah, that's to a get. tough one. That's a tough one, right? Yeah, Rosen
2: right. would have been much easier. I know, I was thinking yeah. of changing it. My getting father rid of my like swag.
1: This, yeah, getting rid of my swag, <laughs> nicely said. I want to thank Brian for being my guest on, on Hat Radio, once again, episode 53. I'd like to ask uh, our listeners to take something out of the interview, and I think what you can take out of this is uh brian you have a huge amount of appreciation <laughs> you, you, for the organization you. that you work on behalf of for the people that you work on behalf of for our community for the jewish people for the world in which we live <laughs> you're a very uh-huh. very grateful fellow so i i think being your toe as we say in hebrew which again is appreciation is a huge deal so consider that in your life be appreciative to those people who surround you who give you things, who help you out, who are part of your life, who give you love. And maybe they might give you a little trouble too, but that could add to your life in different ways. So thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Avram. It was a pleasure. Yeah, that's. and I want to thank our listeners too. You've been listening to Hat Radio. It's the show that schmoozes. You like that, the show that schmoozes? I do. Yeah, thanks, Fan. <laughs> God bless.
3: You've been listening to Hat
1: Radio with Avram Rosenzweig. Sponsored by Goodness and Positivity.
2: Hat Radio, the show that schmoozes.
0: Step inside my living room, share a little talk. By roads walked and lessons learned, keeping the flame of faith burning. I wanna know where you've been, what you found out. Spread some light in the darkness, spread it all about in the height. In the hat, put it all in the hat.